0: Hey, it's Sound of Group Podcast with the second in the themed pairing of episodes called Mother of Violence. So these are songs about all kinds of nasty things, some kind of havoc and chaos, murder, you know, beating people up. Oh, it's all terrible stuff, of course, but that's the theme of songs that I've called together and that I already did in the first episode, which you might have heard a month or two back. I remember, I think it was all just over a month ago. And now, well, I'm following it up finally with some uh, tracks that follow down the same road. Here are the Sound of Groove podcast that is to be found on musicofevansmind.blogspot.com and hosted on the great culture, politics, sports website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Check them both out, especially notthepublicbroadcaster.com because it's more than just my... Uh, podcasts obviously that you can read about there and yeah that's uh the gist of things uh if you're not aware of it of course uh but here let's get right to the music and set it up so you understand a bit of what this theme's going for right so last time we did several songs up that vein in that arena where the songs are and not just the tone of them but obviously the lyrical content or the title it kind of just goes it's a little broad in that sense but we're looking for music that kind of casts the light on a sort of a darker side of human nature, of course, And uh, with that being said, how about we start with one that's more about a psychological kind of warfare, a sort of psychological, uh, abusive side called "Break them Down," And it was written in, kind of inspired by missionaries and uh, people going on uh, on these pilgrimages like Christian missionaries uh, sent to convert the so-called wild, uh, uh, I guess savages in some ways people called them, uh, the sort of unconverted people in third world countries, or even, you know, just Native Americans and stuff like that. I think it was inspired a bit by that, trying to turn them over to their side, their religion and their way of thinking, by kind of breaking them down mentally and almost, you know, breaking their spirit and their will and sort of saying, look, you, you won't have anything unless you come over to our side and you won't have this glory in life unless you subscribe to this way of thinking. If you don't you'll you know, have misery and despair and then after you're dead you'll burn in a pit of fire and hell and all that other stuff that's used to scare them and stuff. So it was a lead track on nineteen eighty five album with a side group that he had for just this one record called The Shot. So Graham Parker and the Shot and it was called Steady Nerves. It is only top forty US hit, Wake Up Next to You, in fact, on Elektra Records. It was the only one he put on Elektra. I think after they dropped him not liking the sales or whatever. He was on Atlantic, would never put anything out on them and then went to another label and then kind of found a little more of a groove and success as an indie cult artist in the 90s after some declining fortunes post the rumor. His band in the 70s went on his own for a bit in the 80s, couldn't really find the huge solo star status that he's craved or at least that record companies thought he had. Arista Records tried him after Mercury, acrimoniously parted ways with him. And after they cut him loose, this one album came out on Elektra and it was pretty much, A bunch of studio pros except Brinsley Schwartz, who'd been the lead guitarist in the room before, was one of the only holdovers from his old uh, sort of uh, musical outfits. Anyway, it's the first cut on that one. It's called Break Them Down, and we're going to kick it off on episode two of Mother of Violence Theme here in 2018, the fourth one of 2018 in the Sound Group podcast. So here it is, Graham Parker in the shot from 1985. there was Break Them Down by Graham Parker and the Shot from nineteen eighty five. Very eighties sounding. Of course they're going for that big drum booming uh, effect and a bit of synthesizers in there too, of course. And that's kind of like a few little echoey effects there, remixing it to try to make it more danceable. I mean all this didn't really make Graham Parker a big rock star. Like a lot of, you know, critics loved him and raved about his kind of Van Morrison like R and B stylings and his ability to really synthesize sort of uh the young man's anger of the kind of uh, new wave punk uh, ethos into a kind of uh, more tight rock sound, much like sort of like a UK Springsteen kind of had that epic uh, kind of feel like a po- poetic sort of street rock and roll sound, but never broke through to a huge audience. But he remains a favorite of the critics today. The record companies tried to make him big and it never really came out the way they wanted it to, even though Wake Up Next To You was kind of a breakthrough hit, he never capitalized on that. His next album didn't come out for another three years, and that was the Mona Lisa's Sister, but it was a modern rock kind of pioneering album, and it's back to basics production style, which kind of went against what you hear there, which is a big 80s sound, obviously. Killer tune, though, at the same time, I would say. And that's got nothing to do with the whole murder, you know, and violence and terrible things happening theme we're going with here, though. <laughs> Just saying, it's a killer track, man, of course. Like you know, hip lingo. Now let's move on to a band called Uncle Tupelo, kind of a alt-country forerunner in the early '90s. That had Jeff Tweedy, who went on to form the very successful indie rock act Wilco, and Jeff Tweedy's uh, partner and uh, songwriting team guy, and then later sort of rival, and they broke up in the mid '90s. Jay Farr- Farrar who formed the band Sunvolt, who initially were more successful than Wilco, but then that didn't really last, and by the end of the 90s, it was clear that Wilco was the more successful of the two offshoots from what was originally a promising alt-country group. In the college rock scene, they sort of flowered in the early 90s, and uh, just when they were making inroads to big popularity, they splintered now. This is a rare cut from uh, an album of theirs, the second one they did, actually, which I believe was called Still Feel Gone. And it's an extra track that was added to it uh, in a 2003 CD reissue. It's called I Want to Destroy You. And it's a cover of a song that Robin Hitchcock wrote, an English kind of uh, power pop guy, a little you know, bit of Baroque and uh, kind of Beach Boy type of uh, sound to his music at times. He wrote it when he was in a band called the Soft Boys in the late 70s, and this is their cover of it. So let's hear the sinister I Want to Destroy You from... Uncle Tupelo back in 1991 uh, which was the time they recorded it but it was later put on a CD reissue as I said of their 1991 album Still Feel Gone. Let's take a listen to that here on the Sound Groove podcast. Right, so there was the uh, heavy punkish with a little bit of a country tinge given to it by Uncle Tupelo. I want to Destroy You from around 1991 when they recorded their album, Still Feel Gone. And there was only a couple more albums and then they were split into two different uh, kind of, I guess you'd call it power trip groups, you know, because these two guys didn't get along anymore and clashed and Tweedy and uh, Farrar, Jay Farrar, Jeff Tweedy and Jay Farrar split created two pretty good groups in their own right in Wilco and Sunvolt, but Wilco ended up being the ones with sustaining power and everything to this day, still putting out records that critics are paying a keen, close eye to. And, uh, well, that's a cover, mind you, of a song, that I, as I mentioned already, that was done by a group called The Soft Boys, a late 70s punk group in England that had Robin Hitchcock in it, it went on to a long, quirky solo career of sorts. And uh, let's move on to another track about something gloomy and... Uh, Dark and disturbed. It's a song called 1913 Massacre. It's written by Woody Guthrie, based on an actual um, tragedy of the Italian Hall in Calumet, Michigan, where fa- striking mine workers were with their families at a Christmas Eve party where someone yelled fire and there was a huge stampede and rush to get out, and 70 something people were killed, most of them children. There was this whole big time around a time where a lot of mine working strikes were going on, and then these strike breaker guys were resorting to violent techniques to. Uh, you know, stop them and you know shut them up or so, do something to disrupt it. So it was a really unsettled time, of course, before World War One broke out in the United States, or at least you know in Europe, and then U.S. got into it eventually. But kind of a time with unrest, labor unrest, and things like that. And Woody Guthrie wrote it, and Arlo Guthrie covered it years later. His son. That's the version I'm going to play. It's from his 1972 album, Hobo's Lullaby. Now, uh, 1913 Massacre was, uh, I think, the tune of it was used by Bob Dylan for his Woody Guthrie tribute on his debut solo album which is a a track called Song to Woody. So I'll play 1913 Massacre, and you can, if you're familiar with Song to Woody, you might hear the similarities. And Arlo's cover of it is uh, on an album that's noted for his only top 40 hit, a cover of Steve Goodman's classic, City of New Orleans, which came, you know, a signature early 70s kind of folk rock singer-songwriter hit. Um, But both versions are good. But (laughs) Arlo's is the more popular, more glossy version because it's got backing singers and everything. So let's take a listen, though, to another track off that album. Like I was saying, "1913 Massacre" by Arlo Guthrie, written by his father Woody years earlier. Here it is on the Sound of Groove podcast. Take a trip with me in
1: 1913 to Calumet, Michigan, in the Copper Country. I'll take you to a place called Italian Hall Where the miners are having an big Christmas ball i take you in a door and up a high stairs And singing and dancing is heard everywhere I'll let you shake hands with the people you'll see Watch the kids dance around the big Christmas tree There's talking and laughing and songs in the air And the spirit of Christmas is there everywhere Before you know it, you're friends with us all And you're dancing around and around in the hall. You ask about work and you ask about pay And they'll tell you they make less than a dollar a day Working their copper claims and risking their lives It's fun to spend a Christmas with the children and wives A little girl sits down by the Christmas tree lights to play the piano, so you've gotta keep quiet. To hear all this fun, you would not realize that the copper boss thug men are milling outside. The copper boss thugs stick their heads in the door. And one of them yelled and he screamed, There's a fire lady she hollered, there's no such a thing Keep on with your party, there's no such a thing A few people rushed and it was only a few It's just the scabs and the thugs fooling you A man grabbed his daughter and he carried her down and the thugs held the door and he could not get out and then others followed about a hundred more but most everybody remained on the floor the gun thugs had laughed at their murderous jokes
0: All right, there was 1913 Massacre. Arlo Guthrie covering his own dad there, Woody. Wrote that tune about a real-life disaster that happened in 1913 that I described in the outset. And, uh, yeah, another song of kind of an awful situation and a mass rush of people getting, you know, trampled to death, that kind of horrible thing. And that fits with the theme we're going with here. If it's a little too twisted for you, I apologize. It's uh, Mother of Violence is the name of the theme, and this is part two of that. And we're... Uh, approaching close to the halfway point and so let's hand it over to another song now and this one is called Smoking Gun and it's by Robert Cray and it came out in 1986 on his real breakthrough commercial and critical hit album Strong Persuader. Now he'd been doing uh, albums in the blues circuit but never really broke out of that uh, sort of uh, shackles of that particular genre's sales limitations and this one kind of put him into a new stratosphere with critics as well, but also it uh, sold 2 million copies in the end and uh, was highly regarded as one of the great 80s albums, whether you be in the putting it in the blues genre or in the genre of contemporary music in general, actually. It uh, broadened his sound, had a bit of a grit and soul to it, his singing had come a long ways from, since the start of his career in the late 70s, and his guitar playing was as sublime as ever. And the songwriting really came to a new level as well. And there was a lot of cheating songs, a lot of infidelity songs, and uh, just so expertly crafted. It just worked on all kinds of levels. And, uh, yeah, one of the best albums of 1986, that's for sure. And in the mid-'80s, this is where this guy basically became a household name in the blues world. Anyhow, he kind of already been a rising star. His previous few albums had really shown the potential that he could have. And when he really... Uh, fused his style into something a little more soulful and less sort of uh down in the uh dumps kind of electric blues that people have been used to hearing he really hit his stride and so i'm going to play you this track which is the lead cut off of strong persuader called smoking gun like i said from 1986 another song of violence and mayhem here on the sound of Groove podcast so take it away robert Cray. All right, there was that fantastic Smoking Gun off the incredible breakthrough for Robert Cray and his band called Strong Persuader, 1986. Lots of other great tracks on the album. That's just a primer for it. That's the first cut on it, and it's just a soulful and uh, real groove kind of uh, blues song that you don't hear much of uh, in that genre, and it, it works so well. It kind of would have been a great maybe Memphis soul hit in the late 60s, but it managed to be a top 40 hit for him in 1986, so obviously there were listeners out there who really loved what they heard, and it's one of the few contemporary blues things that could actually stand as you know contemporary pop or rock at the time it came out. At least that's you know over the last 40 years where most blues recordings have to be traditional to really break through to a bigger, wider, broader market. But anyhow, <laughs> enough of that. After that particular scorching song, Of uh, shooting down people. This is a song that uh, kind of refers to that as well, but it's again more in a metaphorical way, like that last one. It's called Shoot Your Shot, and it's a cover by the Jay Giles Band of a 1965 Junior Walker and the All Stars song. It's kind of one of their follow ups to Shotgun, which is a big top five hit for them. So this one's kind of shamelessly trying to uh, play off of that whole gun motif that they did with that that first one. Not as well, but Jay Giles Band, uh, you know, they. They were known for their R&B sound and they could cover things that were a little bit more most people, you, you could say. So they covered it on a 1976 live album called Blow Your Face Out. Mostly recorded at the Boston Garden in their hometown. See, they were out of Boston, formed in the mid-60s on the college scene. And then they got a record deal and slowly but surely worked their way up from a regional following. They didn't really hit a huge national audience, though, until 1981 with their album Freeze Frame, although Love Stinks on before that kind of uh, hit a bit of a stride, but it was Freeze Frame made them huge. And after that, their lead singer Peter Wolf departed anyway for an initially promising solo career. But th- that album had you know the huge hits that everyone knows like Freeze Frame, uh, Centerfold. That was what really broke them into a huge platinum MTV success kind of market in, 19- in the early 80s. But in the mid-70s, they were still kind of a cult band with a hardcore following, mainly in the northeast, like around the Boston area, where they uh, sprung out of, where they formed. So here they are, covering Shoot Your Shot, a junior walk on the All-Stars Nugget from the mid-60s, about 10 years after it originally came out. So here they are, the Jay Giles Band on the Sound of Groove podcast.
2: We're going to do the slow grind
3: to you. (laughs)
0: there was Shoot Your Shot by the Jay Giles Band from 1976 recorded in November 1975 at Boston Garden. Uh, the other half of that record was recorded at Detroit's Cobo Hall and uh, that is a sensational live album that shows you uh, what they sounded like in their element in their mid-70s heyday when they were still known for their hard-edged R&B sound at a time where a lot of bands were going for flashier, obviously big arena rock noises and you know sounds and uh, um, Light motifs or whatever the heck you want to say, basically they were more stripped down, bare bones, something right out of 60s, like a real bar band, like one of the best bar bands on the circuit you would hear, you know, going for the harmonica, and once in a while they had a horn or two in there, Hammond organ, piano, guitar, hard edge drums, you know, all that kind of stuff. They were uh, straight in your face with it, but they tried to smooth their sound out as the 70s went along, and then by the early 80s they found their niche Commercially, anyway, and Centerfold became a gigantic hit for them with a video clip that was always on MTV, and it was off the races. But then, a couple of years later, Peter Wolf was out, and they struggled to replace him. And they never really, you know, that sort of like disrupted their commercial ascent that they were on. Anyhow, let's move on to a track from the wonderful 80s new wave punkish band Go Betweens. The Go Betweens. Uh, they were a trio. Their uh, drummer was Lindy Morrison, so it was actually a woman in their. Songwriting duo, the bassist and uh, guitarist were Grant McLennan and Robert Forster, and this is a McLennan tune—a little nervy, wiry, kind of velvet underground type of thing, with a bit of a uh, new, uh, new wave tinge to it. Called "Hammer the Hammer," it's a song about loneliness and uh, hurt and stuff. Although some people have interpreted it as a drug song from McLennan, you know, sort of a, expressing a growing interest in that narcotics as sort of a fallback, which he did have troubles with later. I think he died of a heart attack a few years ago, though unfortunately. But he had a really nice solo career, which is a little more like pop, a little shimmering power pop kind of sound. And Forster was the one who had a little more of the uh, avant-garde, jarring type of uh, career path. But this one here you wouldn't be able to tell. It was sort of is still writing songs in that vein. So anyway, it's from 1982. It was released as a standalone single that didn't, uh, you know wasn't on any LP right away. And, uh, yeah, so it's the go-betweens, and it's called Hammer the Hammer once again. And let's listen to it now on Sound Group Podcast right here. Go with the uh, unnerving Hammer the Hammer from 1982 with the go betweens. Their sound ended up uh, maybe getting a little more, uh, not simplified, but a little glossier, a little more uh, easier to digest. Later in the 80s, they became maybe one of more Australia's celebrated bands, one of their great critical sensations over the years. Never really having huge commercial success outside of Australia, uh, a little bit in the UK. Not very well-known in the U.S., but, uh, you know, everybody's got their own cult fan bases, right? Their followings. And, uh, yeah, I mean, compared to some other more well-known, huge-selling artists that come out of Australia, they're overlooked, but they're one of the great uh, stories. They're one of the great uh, rock innovators to ever come out of there, you know? becoming Going from a kind of a strange, avant-garde, new-wave punk group to uh, something of a great uh, power-pop, pop-rock outfit by the end of the 80s. Uh, changing a little bit the times, but never really fully going commercial, never selling out per se. So anyway, Hammer the Hammer is a good example of their early sound being very kind of uh, I guess a little paranoid sounding, a little cold and distant and uh, rhythmically mechanical, but in a great way, not in a kind of boring, uh, you know, monotonous style. They made it work for themselves and then they broadened their horizons as uh, years went by later and came up with some sure classics don't get me wrong they they were not quite as weird or experimental as the beginning but they were still pretty good so let's move on to another song with a little violence in it it's called Cops and Robbers it's a somewhat humorous song though by Bo Diddley it's kind of a spoken word tale about a, a guy who's just out minding his business out in his car and then all of a sudden a guy who just held up a store has got his gun with him and he takes him hostage and drives in his car takes tells him to take over basically it's kind of a Funny little sort of tale about a chase with the cops and brushes with the law and brushes with criminals and stuff and uh, well anyway, I'll give you a little more background. So this was a a 1956 single that uh, Bo Diddley put out that could be found on his album Have Guitar, Will Travel. It was written by a guy named Kent Harris uh, who had a kind of a band he fronted called Boogaloo and his Gallant Crew (laughs) and Bo Diddley covered it and popularized it. You know, it's kind of a novelty number in a way. but. It's, uh, yeah, so, sort of a tale of uh, a brush with danger, but told in a humorous way. So let's take a listen. Cops and Robbers, from 1956, by Bo Diddley, right here on the Santa of Goof Podcast.
4: I was driving home on the boulevard late one night When I spied a guy over on the corner Bumming all alone Now as I passed him by he heard him holler out, hey. I slowed down to see what he said. He hollers uh uh by any chance are you going my way? I said, why sure baby? Hop on in and give me a cigarette. Just then he reached down in his pocket. and that was the moment I regret. He hollered, reach for the sky. I said, but I don't understand, sir. Don't try no market business. I've got a stopper in my hand. And then he says, "Uh, "Look here, you see this here I got in my hand? This is a 38 pistol, built on a 45 frame, shoots tombstone bullets and a ball and chain." He said, "Now I ain't trying to shake you up, but I just want you to know." If the cops start to crowd me in, innit, you're gonna be the first to go. So now look here. Don't even look back. You just drive on just like ain't nothing happening. That's what he told me. He wouldn't even let me look back at nothing. He said, when I get to that red light, he wanted me to go to my left and then jump back to my right. He says, now, uh, I want you to drive up in that alley. Uh uh-uh, uh, not that alley, that, that one over there. And cool it behind that liquor store. And keep a sharp lookout at all times while I sneak in that back door. That's what he told me. He said, keep my foot on that gas and always be on guard. Because when he come running out there with all that money, he wanted me to mash on it real hard. He said, now, nah, don't let him come out of there and find me a double cross. He said, because he's muddy when the heat's on.
0: Okay, there was cops and robbers, a little humorous bluesy number from Bo Diddley. It was a cover by uh, of a song written by a guy named Kent Harris. This is a good example of the kind of humorous way that uh, Bo Diddley presented some of his songs. He played with a very innovative style guitar with a lot of tremolo and kind of uh, wobble on it, and also had a guitar that was shaped like a cigar box, kind of a like square thing that was really uh, a novelty to see and became one of his signature things. And uh, he had lots of songs that kind of were forerunners of the sort of uh, bravado creating kind of a legend about himself type of uh, ethos like um, or mythos I should say like uh, hip hop guys in future years would do kind of with the diss track thing. He started a little bit of that kind of calling people out in song and uh, referring to himself a lot. He had titles of songs like Bo Diddley and Bo Diddley Beat and Bo Diddley Blues and Hey Bo Diddley and on and on and on. That's a good example. Elias McDaniel was his real name that he put actually on his songwriting credits and everything, but Bo Diddley is what he's better known as, and uh, he, he profited for years off that great image that he created for himself, even if his heyday kind of ended in the mid-60s in terms of his creative peak, I guess. So let's uh, wrap it up here with one more track. This is a track called Kill Crime, and it's more of a reggae number than anything that you're used to hearing, uh, at least on my podcast. I don't pull them out all the time. And no, it's not even Bob Marley. It's a group called the Itals. And they had done a lot of uh, recordings and singles out in Jamaica, their homeland in the 70s. But their, first, their second proper solo uh, studio album, I should say, was called Give Me Power. And this particular track, Kill Crime, was on that one. And they were originally a vocal reggae group, uh, former 1976, Alvin Keith Porter, Lloyd Ricketts, and Ronnie Davis, who'd all previously recorded as uh, solo artists and then got together Uh, in the mid-70s and had a lot of success as a real crossover reggae act that got a lot of critical uh, approval, carved themselves out a big uh, reputation on that market, on that scene. And this is a good example of what made them such a fantastic reggae group. And it's, of course, a song talking about the violence on the streets and stuff and uh, the danger that could be found um, in the the rougher parts of Jamaica. And uh, they didn't shy away from shining a light on that. Like a lot of vital reggae artists of the time they weren't sh- you know like uh they were casting light on the dangers and the, and the awful side of life there that wasn't all so sunny and rosy like some bob marley songs would be later on anyway let's take a listen to 1983's kill crime by the etals on the Sonic group podcast Alright, there was Kill Crime by the Itals, a great reggae band from the late 70s, early 80s. That will wrap up this part two of our theme, the third one of 2018. And there's one more theme to come with two episodes before the conclusion of the year. So don't despair. More Sound and Group podcasts on the way from musicofEvansMind.blogspot.com and not PublicBroadcaster.com. I'm your host, Evan Dobigan. And I hope you really enjoyed it thoroughly as I did putting it together for your ears to be pleased by. And uh, yeah, so who knows what the theme will be next time. I'm not gonna divulge any information, but uh, suffice to say, it'll be another interesting experience. So I bid you farewell till then.